0: Greetings, this is The Pub, Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things books and publishing. I'm Dean Karpowitz. I'm Kai Richmond.
1: I'm Daniel Moorbach.
0: Today on the show, horror comics. Oh yeah. <laughs> and Daniel is back again.
1: How you guys doing? Hi Daniel.
0: Uh, We're going to talk about three, we have a three things theme going on, three comics. Um,
1: Yeah, it's worked out pretty well so far.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk about three comics today, um, and we're going to start with Vampires. Um, I Am Legend, that's the first one we're going to talk about, so tell us a little bit about it. We have a copy here, so we'll talk about the art, and what'd you think? How'd you Uh, like it? You
1: know, I read this back in undergrad. So I've I've read the original novel and I've read the comic. I saw the movie and I'll I'll say that the movie took a lot of liberties understandably so, but I actually really liked this adaptation because it's it's one of the more faithful adaptations that I've read. And I I think the artwork is great. It's got this sort of sort of a jagged, almost dirty style artwork which I think fits with the dystopian atmosphere which has this dual effect of it cur- makes the violence less violence for sort of abstraction mm. but it also makes every panel I think kind of quietly violent mm. because that abstraction is just so like grangy and dirty and I thought it was really cool. I, th- I think it captured the, the tone of the book while also adding something of, of it itself, as opposed to just doing a copy paste. Um, in which case, what's the point, right? Yeah, yeah. If you're not going to add anything to it. Uh, just go read the original text. Yeah. This, I, I think you can read the original text. You can read, I am legend and then you can read this. You're getting different things out of it, but it, it, sticks closely enough to it in fact i'd say very closely that um it still respects the original material and you can enjoy it and enjoy it in new ways or honestly if you had just read the comic yeah i think you you know the story you're not going to just be like well i saw the movie it's like that's (laughs) not the same now
0: yeah yep kai was talking about the style
2: before Yeah, it's it's impressive. Um, Every single panel is basically made up of a bunch of cross hatching. Like when you pull through the book, every individual panel has this like almost like dreary overtone. No matter what it's depicting, like it could be you know depicting a fight between a few of the infected and our main protagonist, um, or just you know them going through a conversation. But there's always this very heavy overtone because of the way that they decided to depict all of these subjects in hand. Um, And I think that's really successful in this case because it's always this, like, tension that you feel with every turn of the page, and I think it's really successful in that matter.
1: Yeah, it's really cool. Which, I mean, you just kind of look into, I mean, like you said, any page, and you you look at any image, and you're like, my God, somebody took a pen and went hash mark by hash mark. Even just, like, his his face and up close to the face has got to have... A thousand different dots and hash marks on it.
2: That has to take like so much time. (laughs) Like, oh my
1: gosh! Yeah, carpal tunnel, man.
0: Yeah, that's how you get it. How about the tradition? The vampire tradition. What? what, What's the story like here? They're not sparkly. I know that, right? Oh, thank God.
1: (laughs) They're not like you know Anne Rice vampires. Mm -hmm. They're they're Mm -hmm. kind of more like the the author the original author keeps the vampires very much at a distance mm-hmm. so it's sort of oh they're just sort of not necessarily mindless but very simple minded ghouls yeah mm-hmm. and that that sort of evolves as the story comes along and you realize oh they're they're not and for those who saw the movie they were kind of just zombie vampires yeah they were yeah and Anybody who's seen the movie, you should Google the original ending, which didn't test well. So then they changed it, and I think the original ending of the movie was much more in spirit with the book. Because in the book, there it it's flipped by the by the time we not to give anything away, but to it's flipped by the time we get to the end, and we realize, oh, maybe they're not so simple-minded and this dystopian setting maybe isn't a dystopian setting Mm -hmm. as far as the the vampire element i think it it plays this interesting balance that it's um it still sticks to the vampire lore like stake through the heart will dust them and and so forth but it's the earliest book that i know of not that i'm an expert that tries to have a scientific focus of the Uh, the protagonist trying to present it uh, or frame the problem, I should say, through a scientific lens. Mm. Like He goes and he gets a microscope to examine their flesh or their blood and he comes to scientific conclusions based on how vampires operate, quote unquote. Yeah. So I I think that, especially for the time, I think this was written in the 1960s, I want to say. Yeah. The adaptation, the comic was written in uh, 2007, I think. So, I wonder,
0: I wonder if there's any sort of inspiration for that really terrible Guillermo del Toro, *The Strain*. Right, because *The Strain* is uh, mm. it's actually a sort of a disease, you know, that yeah. people get, um, and that turns them into sort of hive mind vampiric creatures. Well, and
2: that's like. It's it's always been like a you know a mix and match when it comes to supernatural entities that like it started out a lot of these like vampires zombies et cetera, it all used to be supernatural and then when mm-hmm. it came to you know the nineties and the you know two thousands two thousand tens everything got this like scientific edge like no they aren't you know raised by this demon they were raised by this biological virus that we developed mm-hmm. or something along those lines mm-hmm. so it's kind of interesting to see that kind of like you know, consistently change.
1: Uh, I'll agree with you, but I'll push back on the time frame. I would say that you know the nineteen fifties and sixties was when people started to get much more fascinated with science. Oh yeah, you yeah, know yeah. the 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 space race and all that. So then you got this shift from pure fantasy into sort of this sci fantasy. And mm-hmm. say, take a more mainstream comic character, Green Lantern. Oof. He was always a very fantasy based. But then in the 60s, they revamped him to be like, no, it's space and he's a space cop and there's space and all this. So there's I, – I, and that's when the original book was written. And I believe 60s and 70s took this sort of traditional lore and took a, a, a scientific edge to it.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> um, hungry Ghost is this, the next one. Uh, Anthony Bourdain. Yes. I have it in hardcover. Looks really great. It has five all new original recipes in it, <laughs> um but tell us Man, about
1: was more ambitious,
0: yeah. tell us about hungry ghosts,
1: so it's a collection of short stories, sort of it's one of those mm-hmm. um let's all sit around and tell stories, scary stories uh deals, so each new character tells a new story, and it's based on um Mostly, well, I think entirely Japanese folklore. Yeah. So you will see some, if you're casually familiar with Japanese folklore, you'll see some of the demons in there that you're probably aware of, but each story is drawn by a different artist, mm-hmm. which I think really adds something to it. You get a different sort of presentation of the horror and a different uh, uh, sort of panel beat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you guys get a chance to read the stories?
0: I read a couple kind of skimmed through them.
1: Um, okay, did you have one anybody have a favorite anything that stood out to people or
2: well, I like the fact I that like it. um you know, I, I was going through it a little bit before um, we started um as far as like mm-hmm. the, the I love the changes in art styles the, it's every single one is like just just enough of like this different kind of cuz like there's this one that has like this very um modern uh graphic um graphic style that I've seen in a lot of like modern comics whereas some of these are a little bit more abstract some of them are just uh like it almost has like that 50s vibe to them like there's this one story what was this one called here um Bo- boil in the belly it, it yeah. it's got this like <laughs> got this weird 50s vibe to it but like it gets kind of gruesome <laughs> like, yeah and it's it's really neat like they're just completely different I love the the just the overall uh, scope of how, how different um, we can interpret different stories so it's really awesome yeah
1: yeah and it's it's very different enough to where you can appreciate the different um, different ways the art contributes to the text but it is similar enough where flipping a page isn't jarring. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And part of that is is that they got different artists that do the pencil work, um, ah. but the coloring is all done by the same person. Nice. the Walking dead is all done dead. by the same person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I was somewhat uh, attracted to the monster glossary in the back. <laughs> it took me back to like the... Dungeons yeah, that, and Dragons, cool. uh, Monster Manual uh, days.
1: I I liked Salty Horse. Ah, the the one where the guy is is just obsessed with eating horse flesh. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I think I'm, liter- yeah, my, my favorite.
2: I'm flipping through it right uh, now. It's kind of uh, gruesome. Yeah. yeah, this is uh, yeah. gross. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, that and you know all the other stories because it, it's folklore. So there's the. Um, Usually a conflation of well, you shouldn't have done this, but it was conditional on you know your surroundings or your happenstance. Like there's a famine going on. Don't eat your neighbors when there's a famine going on. Like right, but there's a famine. Like we were hungry. Like with salty horse, it's just you have a jerk guy who's obviously a complete glutton. Right, yeah, hungry yeah, goes. Yeah, and he he just gets his. Come up from the spirit because he's just a scummy guy. Yeah. Uh, so as far as like the, the moral perspective, I I thought that was a little bit more satisfying.
0: I like the idea that there, that we're sort of coupling consumption and horror here. You know, throughout yeah. the book, um, literally uh, sort of consuming right um, becomes an aspect of the horrific.
1: Well, there's that conflation of, you know, the assault on the physical body, which is traditional horror, and and the assault on, or the the nullification of the self, like you're being consumed. The the gates of hell traditionally was the mouth of hell, which is just somehow much more disturbing, right? So the idea of you being eaten or... Uh, even if if you're the one doing the eating, and that is somehow the the offense, yeah. like it's such a basic natural response that when you frame eating as something evil or horrific, you're like, man, I was hungry too, and <laughs> now you you're trying to make me feel bad about just snacking.
0: I like that it's both sides, right? It's the being consumed, this sort of fear, the fear yeah. of that we get from you know maybe. Comics like The Walking Dead, where people are literally literally eaten you know by the zombies, yeah yeah, but then even more horrifying is when it's spun the other way in some ways, right, where what we're consuming um is completely horrifying,
1: yeah, it's a cool little book, and what I love in just to take a quick sidebar is at the end because this was printed posthumously after mm-hmm. Anthony Bourdain died yeah. is the the co-author here says with Anthony Bourdain, uh, the book is dedicated to the memory of EC comics and the Hayes act was a, um, censorship of the film industry and comics suffered something very similar in the 1950s where they said, you can't do vampires or werewolves. So it, they, comics used to be extremely diverse and this congressional act basically, um, killed the entire diversity mm. so you go back and you find the ec comics which are just these these wonderful little horror books it has to do with you know monsters and serial killers it's just great great artwork but that's sort of the the casualties of a bygone era yeah that is absolutely worth checking out and i was i was happy to see the, the dedication to these very old books
0: yeah maybe we'll do a show where we look at some of those it'd be pretty cool that'd be cool yeah, yeah, yeah. really cool yeah Coming up with new ideas on the air, on the fly, um, <laughs> at the mountains of madness. Last one, Oof. Lovecraft, uh,
1: H.P. Lovecraft. So now we're we're delving into you know, cosmic horror, mm-hmm. which, as opposed to traditionally horrors about um, the assault on the physical body and the serial killer is going to stab me or the monster is going to eat me, the the cosmic horror is. Almost synonymous with Lovecraft. Yeah. Where it's, instead of you being under physical assault, you're, you're, it's your mind or your spirit or your soul that's in fear of being irrecoverably altered or destroyed. Which is just so. If you can do it right, which I think is a terribly difficult thing to do, is so much more disturbing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's it's not. Well, why didn't you just? pick up a gun and shoot the guy in the mask, it's the more knowledge you receive, yeah. the more damage you're doing to yourself. Yeah, uh, Which I think is conflated with uh, th- this very innate quality in humans, and that's curiosity. Mm-hmm. Lovecraft loves to take that human curiosity, that scientific inquiry, and make that the the thing that ends up bringing peril to the characters mm-hmm. yeah. where all they want to do is know something, but the more they know the the more their worldview is just turned on its head and does not compute. Yep. And then the truth of the situation just won't fit in their head yeah. and their head cracks. Yeah. And in the mountains of madness focuses on a, an Antarctic expedition that does much of what we we're just talking about. And, um, the, the thing with the, the adaptation, though, is there's, there's a pro-con here in that, when, like I said with I Am Legend, if you're going to do a, an adaptation, you should bring something new to the table. and At the Mountains of Madness, the graphic novel, it, it does some cool stuff with the artwork, mm-hmm. and it knows it's a comic. It yeah. takes advantage of the comic form. It takes advantage of you know, it's when, when the characters are in a stable place, the panels are all stable. Ah. Panels are nice 90 degree, uh, 90 degree angle sort of boxes. boxes but yeah. then as, as the peril sets in, like it becomes very jagged, it becomes very distorted. It's not like tetrahedral panels, right? Yeah. So it, it the advantage is you are getting a, a different experience with something that Knows what mediums it's working in. So yeah. there's new things to experience. The disadvantage is you don't traditionally, you, you know, describe or narrate what something visually looks like yeah. when you're sitting there drawing it. Yeah. Like you have a picture of the city, don't sit and describe the city. Mm-hmm. So as a result, you almost by necessity have to take out a lot of the visual descriptors that HP Lovecraft put in there.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: But much of the point of reading Lovecraft is to get that extremely purple prose, that that Mm -hmm. very descriptive prose. That's the joy of it. I think more so than the plot personally. So you, you end up losing the Lovecraftian sort of veneer while keeping the Lovecraftian themes so I think this one depends on how experienced and how much love you have for Lovecraft.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: this would probably make a really cool introductory book for maybe somebody who already loves comics, but is like, "Who's this Lovecraft guy?" Mm-hmm. You can get an idea as to what it is. There's still a lot of the great prose, mm-hmm. but so much of it is just now gone.
0: While you're saying, while you're while you're speaking, I was thinking about that the the part of the much more of the focus of the first two books that we talked about is visual. Um, Maybe because they're relying less to some degree on the psychological, which is what Lovecraft is really trying to do. He's more in the tradition of Mm -hmm. Poe and losing our mind than depicting something or having something drawn in a way that's going to disgust us in one way or another. You know, looking at the comic, you're right. It looks very much like a comic. It looks like something that's like there's there are no
2: panels where I'm like, wow, that's really creepy or that's really disgusting. With Lovecraft, he's always been this purveyor of making something horrifying that we can't personally like encounter. Yeah, like it's like with yeah. um, I think it was Azathoth. A- Azatoth? Um, like I remember it was the nuclear chaos. I think, but it was just this absolutely. monstrous uh being that Mm -hmm. just it like like Cthulhu it just spread madness Mm -hmm. it was it was born to drive you insane and I think that having um not really what with at the mountains of madness it's a lot of that the the drawings are very simple it's very Mm -hmm. um it's it's laid out in a plain way whereas like um with the with the dialogue it seems very straightforward so you can understand on how they're going insane. Yeah. Um, and yes. why. Yeah. Um, versus like, oh, no, there's a gigantic fleshy being. It's, you can see them gradually losing their
1: minds. yeah. Well, that and there there's the old rule of, you know, it, my imagination versus what you're actually showing me, yeah. the, the shark in Jaws or a lot of monster movies wait until the, the last 10 minutes to get a good shot of the monster. If at all right. with the comic, you see like the first monsters you encounter, like, well, that's a, that's a queer looking animal. That, mm-hmm. That's weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. But with, when you're reading it, you're, you don't have a visual. So as he's using these like five syllable words and he's got yeah. like 20 of them in, in a single sentence, you're trying to imagine something that he is very deliberately resisting, giving you a a crystal clear image on. And part of that is he wants you to be sort of confused and discombobulated about how could something possibly look like that? So when you get an artist that comes and goes, well, this is my interpretation, you're not getting, I don't think this creature sort of fits inside my head with, with, how it works, what the biology is, even how it looks, I, I don't get it. That's part of the story that he's telling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you visualize it, it's, oh, well, that's just what it looks like. Yeah. So it, it's a give-take. I kind of feel like maybe we should split the difference on this one, and, and it would make, if you're going to adapt it, maybe it would make a better illustrated novel. Mm. And an illustrated novel versus a graphic novel is, it's mostly text that's sprinkled in usually with some sparse drawings. Yeah. Like it might be a full color where that way you could get the, a visual context about what say the, the men look like and you know, what their facial hair looked like, what their expedition tools looked like without necessarily feeling like you have to show a full plate page spread of the monster followed by another full page spread of the monster yeah, but now we're just talking about particulars of form
0: well yeah and well it's well i think it's really sort of interesting that we have a artist here who's made choices that oh well, you you would imagine he necessarily had to make right if he's doing lovecraft it yeah, has absolutely. to be lovecraftian right so yeah yeah the, the language in some ways must be central as you'd said before because we're so attached to that or you know uh Lovecraft we pin that purple prose of Lovecraft to him. and That's, you know, a good chunk of the enjoyment when we get to his work
1: So I still really enjoyed the book Mm -hmm. It's just you know when when you're dealing with something as sophisticated and traditional as Lovecraft it it gets a little like You end up splitting a lot of hairs because it ends up being a a very different experience Mm -hmm. Uh, I I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the artwork Um, I just I would recommend it for somebody who doesn't know a lot about Lovecraft mm-hmm. as sort of an introduction, or maybe if somebody's already read mountains of madness two or three times that yeah. you just want to be able to enjoy it in a different way. Yeah. But tread carefully because if you got it in your head, like, man, that was the creepiest monster I've ever imagined without seeing it, then maybe skip it. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. you don't want, you don't want the reveal of the monster. I don't know. It's uh. It's a complicated work.
0: And that's where we'll end it for today. Okay. Next time Daniel's on, we're going to talk about, I'm pretty psyched to, I'm recording tomorrow, the Watchmen, the beginning of Watchmen on HBO. And so I think next- Are we talking about
1: Watchmen next time? Yeah,
0: I think we're going to talk about Watchmen and then maybe deconstructing the hero more generally after that. So love Rorschach. Okay. Yeah. Um, So that's, yeah, (laughs) stuff stuff to look forward to. The pub is produced at the University of Wisconsin Parkside from the studios at WIPZ 101.5 FM. You can tune in Sundays at 2 to catch new episodes. You can also find the pub on Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Or you can head over to our website at straylightmeg.com for fiction, poetry, art, and of course, podcasts. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for regular updates on new content. Until next time, thanks for listening to The Pub, Straylight Magazine's podcast about all things books and publishing.